better skills, better doctors. Join Rebecca Ong and Michael Peluso from TCM Hub as we go beyond the nuts and bolts of clinical practice to navigate some of the more challenging aspects of being a self-employed physician. Welcome to Better Skills, Better Doctors. We are your hosts, Rebecca Ong and Michael Peluso. Before we dive in, be sure to head over to tcm-hub.com and click Hub Community to join a network of your colleagues. There you can get help with your herbal medicine cases and get coached on topics covered in this podcast. Hub Community is only for those who are licensed practitioners of Chinese medicine and students who are enrolled in an accredited Chinese medicine program. Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca again. If you're new to the podcast or if you're a returning listener, thanks for joining me today. And for those of you who have been following this podcast, or at least those of you who have been listening since episode 24, which is titled Adaptability, we're happy to let you know that we finally got a new truck to replace our Jeep that was stolen. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you can go ahead and listen to episode 24 after this one to hear the whole story, which is a little crazy. Uh, Something else, Uh, Michael and I are each in the process of developing new projects, Um, These projects, they're respective to our um, individual areas of expertise. So we have two projects coming out in the near future. Um, You know, we've just been so consumed by the creation and the launch of Harmonize this year. And, you know, we're still improving on that with each cohort, but we're now at a place where we can start working on some complementary projects that I think are going to be really, really cool. And of course, they are designed to further support you all in the growth and development of your Chinese medicine careers. So just keep an eye out for that. Okay. So I think you're all updated on what's going on with us. <laughs> all right. So today's episode, um, I want to talk about the importance of the language that we use. You know, language, it's how we communicate with each other, right? So, you know, language, whether it's verbal, physical, or visual communication, The accuracy of the language and the words that we use is really important. And it's not only the words we use, but also the tone and the inflection in which we use them. You know, that holds equal, if not more weight when it comes to what we're trying to communicate or trying to convey what we're trying to communicate. And I'm sure everyone listening to this right now has probably had a situation where miscommunication occurred because the person or the people on the listening end perceived your tone to be a certain way that you didn't intend, or maybe flip that around. You were the person on the listening end. And, you know, this is how a lot of disagreements get started. And um, obviously this is where a lot of confusion can occur. So, you know, for example, when you have a new patient call or visit your office for the first time, The way you communicate, whether it's verbal, physical, or visual, will affect the way that patient feels about you. So for new patients, what we ultimately want to communicate as a first impression is trust, safety, and competency. I mean, there's other things, but those are kind of the three main pillars uh, when we're trying to communicate our first impression or to create a first impression with a new patient, trust, safety, and competency. So... And in order to do that, we choose deliberate words to say or not to say, how to deliver them, the tone that we would deliver them in. 
We keep our offices clean and professional. We dress in a way that implies professionalism, competency, or whatever it is that you're trying to you want to be communicating here. And we present ourselves in a certain way to convey to patients that they are in good hands so that they can relax and trust your prescription when you eventually give it to them. So, you know, we're aware on some level of the importance of tone when communicating and the results that that can create. But most of us don't give much thought to the words that we choose to use and how it affects ourselves when we say them. And that's what most of today's episode is about. For those of you who have been listening to this podcast or who have worked with me in the past, you're familiar with the way I teach and I coach. And I emphasize heavily on the importance of your thoughts and your feelings because it's your thoughts and feelings that drive the actions that you take. Every action that we take is initiated by a specific feeling or emotion. So, and when I say actions, actions are not only the things we do, uh, but it's also our reactions and even our inactions. You know, it's the action of not taking any action. And at a very basic level to describe this, when someone feels sadness, they will cry, right? Or some will retreat or avoid people. You know, everybody reacts to sadness in a very different way. But for the most part, when someone feels sad, then they cry. Now, to describe this in a more advanced way, let's say you start moving forward with a new marketing strategy by committing to putting up one new piece of social media content a day. And you begin to do all the things to make it happen. And then you start to feel fear. And when someone feels fear, Some typical actions that people will take are they'll start to doubt themselves. They'll change their mind about their plan and start spinning in indecision. And then they start making up reasons why they can't or shouldn't or why this isn't the right time. And so then they push it off to the next day and to the next day and to the next day until they just kind of drop it forever. And then the results of all these actions is that they don't move forward with their plan. Their business stays hidden and they don't grow their clinic. So all from that one emotion of fear. So you can see the powerful effect that just one feeling can have on our entire outcome. So going back to what I was talking about before regarding the level of thought we apply to the words that we choose, knowing that how we feel can affect what we do, all of us, including myself, I'm putting myself in this too. All of us just need to be a little bit more conscious about the thoughts that we have and the language that we use. And specifically, we need to be more careful about using dramatic language. More and more, I see and hear people casually using words and phrases in everyday conversations that are really are reserved to describe or emote intense and serious situations. And really dramatic language, you know, it's making its way into common vernacular. And the reason why this is a problem is because using dramatic language creates dramatic feelings. And since our feelings drive our actions and our ability to make decisions so that we can move forward, creating dramatic feelings in ourselves 
ultimately isn't serving us. So some examples of dramatic language that I hear or I see people using. The first one is, I feel paralyzed. Okay. Using the example, I sit down to do my marketing and then I'm just paralyzed. Okay. The definition of paralyzed is of a person or part of the body, partly or wholly incapable of movement. Okay. Partly or wholly incapable of movement. Now, you are not literally paralyzed when you are sitting down for marketing. Right? But we'll use this a lot when describing not knowing what to do or afraid of making the wrong decision or when we're trying to do something new and big and can't muster up the courage to take the leap. Then we'll say, I feel paralyzed. But you're not. <laughs> All right. Another dramatic language is this is a nightmare. Right? When you're describing a situation, this is a nightmare. All right. The definition of a nightmare is a terrifying or deeply distressing dream. But people use this a lot to describe a situation that maybe isn't that ideal, but is overall pretty innocuous. And it's certainly not a nightmare. All right. Next one. Always or never. Now, using language like you always do this, or you never do this, or I always do this, or I never do that. Okay. These are extreme words that cause all or nothing thinking, right? All or none thinking. And most of the time, it's just not true because very few aspects aspects of life are always or never anything, right? So if you're saying these, and if you're saying these to another person, it usually just elicits a defensive reaction and then just escalates, you know, escalates the argument. Or for some people, it can result in them feeling worse about themselves, whether the words are coming from another person or if they're saying it to themselves. Another dramatic language or another dramatic word, forever. This is taking forever or this is going to take me forever to do. Forever means no end right? But we use this to describe something that's taking a long time or taking longer than we want it to, or we anticipate that it's going to take a long time. It's going to take forever, right? And when you're thinking that, when you're using that language, it's going to take me forever. You know, are you really going to take action? Is it going to be really easy to take action from that, right? Okay. Um, Another one is broke in the sense of I have no money. I'm broke. I'm always broke. I'm constantly broke. Broke by definition, means you have completely run out of money. But we use it to describe not having as much money as we want. Okay, You have money. Maybe you don't have all, like a lot of it, but you have money. You're not broke because broke means you've completely run out of money. And then the last one is shocked and appalled. And this example I actually just saw recently on a Facebook post. And um, it was in a response to someone who criticized, you know, a a school, like a Chinese medicine school. And, you know, the person commented she was shocked and appalled by the post. Now, shocked and appalled is usually reserved for something very, very bad. You know, murder, war, child abuse, All right, but this person chose to apply it to the circumstance of a post on social media 
that she didn't agree with and felt upset by it. So these are just some, these are not obviously not all the examples, but these are some of the common examples that I see. And so I can go on and on, but I don't want to make this too long. So, um, but using dramatic and extreme language, it just isn't serving you and it's not serving anybody else either. And I understand that sometimes we'll use dramatic language for comedic effect or to tell a compelling story. And, but that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is using dramatic language where it's not appropriate to the situation at hand. Now, we unconsciously will use dramatic language sometimes to undermine ourselves, right? You know, dramatic language, it's one of the many clever tricks that our primal brain uses to stop us from growing into the unknown. And it will, you know, dramatic language, it sends us directly to the worst case scenario, right? And it's like a hard stop that prevents us from accessing our own wisdom. Now, the reason why our brain will often choose dramatic thoughts and dramatic language is because to the primal brain, drama is like candy, right? It can't get enough of it. You know, drama creates dopamine hit after dopamine hit after dopamine hit. You know, it's why TV shows like The Real Housewives or any of these reality TV shows exist and why they're so immensely popular because they'll create an hour of made up drama and dopamine nuts for our primal brains to primal brains to consume. Drama, it's the antidote to the discomfort that you're feeling in the moment, which for many of you, if we go back to the example of marketing, it can be whatever it is that you're trying to do to build your business to take yourself to the next level. And by using dramatic language, we're training ourselves to be more dramatic. You know, it just makes sense. When we, when we use dramatic language, we become more dramatic. When we use negative language, we become more negative. When we use positive language, we become more positive, right? These are all studied and known facts. Now, dramatic language, it also, on top of all that, it trains our nervous systems to always be on edge and to always be on the lookout or always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, it trains our nervous systems to live in constant anxiety. And we're not only training ourselves to live in constant anxiety, but we're training those who are listening to do the same. You know, especially children who don't have the mind maturity yet to know what is real and what is embellishment. And over time, our nervous systems become exhausted by the overuse of extreme language and the extreme feelings they produce, that it makes it even more difficult for us to regulate ourselves, even under slight amounts of stress. So, you know, right now, I think we can all agree that as a society, there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to how we interact with each other and room for improvement with increasing emotional intelligence and conflict prevention and resolution and acceptance of one another and patience and grace for one another. And while it's not the one thing that's going to solve all the problems within those areas, one step toward improving those areas that is available to every single one of you listening is to work on being more thoughtful of the words we choose to use with each other and with ourselves. So an action step for today is to think about some of the common phrases 
uh, beliefs or credos that you say to yourself or maybe that you live by and get curious about them. You know, are they producing a touch of drama for you? And if they are, you know, just first laugh a little bit about it. Okay. Because when you catch yourself and call yourself out for your own drama, it actually brings a little levity to the whole thing. And then from there, take those phrases and tease out what's actually factual and true, and then move forward from there. So that's all for today. If you need help with getting unstuck, getting out of your own way, and wanting to step into a higher version of yourself, then life and performance coaching may be exactly what you need. Head over to tcm-hub.com slash living practice or click living practice at the top of the page. There you can read more about coaching for self-employed Chinese medicine physicians and schedule an introductory chat with me. If you found this episode valuable, please share with a friend. And if you could also be so kind as to take a moment to leave a written review in your podcast app, we would really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and for considering new perspectives. Talk to you next time. Rebecca Ong is a certified professional life coach for Chinese medicine physicians. She is not a certified financial planner, financial advisor, or accountant. Life coaching is not a substitute for therapy, medicine, or medical treatment. Anything discussed in this podcast is for general education and entertainment purposes only.